Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're talking about one of the, I don't know if we're going to say the greatest games of all time, but one of the greatest franchises of all time that has shaped the third-person shooter aspect of really any game that's come out. It's changed laws. It's been controversial. There's been multiple, multiple things that have happened, and it has led to a game that has been a billion-dollar business. Definitely a game that I have a lot of childhood memories of that I should not have childhood memories of at all. I used to go over to friends' houses all the time. Everyone had this game. Of course, we're talking about Grand Theft Auto 3. Um, which was a lot of fun, a lot of bad fun. I remember this game being kind of one of the first ones I ever played where the entire intention was just being bad and doing bad mm-hmm. things, stealing cars, you're shooting people, you're killing people, you're robbing people. You know, most of the games that I had played up to this point were about saving people from people like that. And so obviously spawned a lot of controversy like you said a lot of conversation about what is the impact of video games what does it do to kids brains do Mm -hmm. we need to limit when kids are allowed to play these does it impact real life real world interactions Mm -hmm. and all those conversations were spawned of course from the grand theft auto series now they're still making these games well sort of they're still re-releasing them. <laughs> <laughs> They're still re-releasing these games. So obviously um, those conversations happened, but they didn't stop the machine that is Rockstar Games and Grand Theft Auto as a series. Absolutely. And we've seen it with Mortal Kombat. We've seen it with many mature and R-rated type games that have come out. How does our society adapt those? Not just in the US, but worldwide. Where do we see those things? Who changes what? Who's allowed to change what? when it comes to what someone can sit down and play. So Grand Theft Auto 3 is a 2001 action-adventure game developed by DMA Design and published by Rockstar Games. It is the third main entry in the Grand Theft Auto series, 
following 1999's Grand Theft Auto 2 and the fifth installment overall. Set within the fictional Liberty City, loosely based on New York City, the story follows Claude, a silent protagonist who, after being betrayed and left for dead by his girlfriend during a robbery, embarks on a quest for revenge that leads him to become entangled in a world of crime, drugs, gang warfare, and corruption. The game is played from a third-person perspective, and its world is navigated on foot or by vehicle. Its open-world design lets players freely roam Liberty City, consisting of three main areas. Development was shared between DMA Design, based in Edinburgh, and Rockstar, based in New York City. Much of the development involved transforming popular elements from the Grand Theft Auto series into a full 3D world for the first time. The game was delayed following the September 11th attacks to allow the team to change references and gameplay deemed inappropriate. It was released in October 2001 for the PlayStation 2, in May 2002 for Microsoft Windows, and in October 2003 for the Xbox. Grand Theft Auto 3 received critical acclaim with particular praise directed at its concept and gameplay. However, it also generated controversy, with criticism directed at its depictions of violence and sex. It became the best-selling video game of 2001, and has sold over 14.5 million copies since. Considered by many critics as one of the most significant titles of the sixth generation of video games, and a landmark game in the open-world concept, it is often listed among the greatest video games of all time. It won several year-end accolades, including Game of the Year awards from several game publications. Since its release, it has received ports to many different gaming platforms. An enhanced version of the game was released on mobile platforms in 2011 for the game's 10th anniversary, and a further enhanced version for the 20th anniversary was released in 2021. The game was followed by Grand Theft Auto Vice City in 2002, while two prequels, Grand Theft Auto Advance and Grand Theft Auto Liberty City Stories, were released in 2004 and 2005, respectively. Ooh, rapid firing out these Grand Theft Auto games. Something yeah. has changed. Something has changed over the times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the era where you go from that top-down view from the original Grand Theft Autos that, you know, you jump into a vehicle and kind of almost like a ridge racer. You would drive around into different vehicles committing, you know, Grand Theft Auto. And this is the first soiree into that 3D element of it, into being a fully fleshed out game with that open world feel. And I bought those, uh, the PC versions of those original games and played them for a while. And they were, they were fun. They were decent fun for what they were. But you definitely see them find their footing in this 3D realm. And without Grand Theft Auto 3, you know, this franchise probably dies, to be honest. And we don't mm -hmm. get a lot of other great rock star titles so you know very thankful that they decided to go into that 3d realm and release what was really like the start of a franchise in a way absolutely so let's talk about that studio dma design in 1984 david jones russell case steve hammond and mike daly often met at the kingsway amateur computer club or the kacc in dundee while Jones used an Amiga 1000, the others used Sinclair Spectrum or Commodore 64. They developed numerous small games while attending the KACC. Jones and K developed Moonshadow, eventually renamed Zone Trooper. Daly developed Freakout, and Jones and Daly collaborated on the game with no name. When later attending the Dundee Institute of Technology, Jones began development on a game tentatively titled Coppercon 1. 
working under the temporary name Acme Software, alongside Kay, Hammond, and Daly. To publish the game, Jones first approached Houston Consultants, where Andrew Braybrook played and recommended the game. When Jones was informed that Houston wanted the game to be the Amiga version of Zenapps, he realized that sales would be limited and refused to sign the contract, instead signing a deal with publisher Psygnosis. The game was renamed Draconia with Tony Smith working on graphics and Jones designing levels. By 1987, Jones wanted to incorporate the company but found that the name Acme was already taken by a design company. As he had chosen another, he considered to use Visual Voyage and Alias Smith and Jones, but ultimately decided to go with DMA Design. The DMA was taken from Amiga programming manuals, where it stood for Direct Memory Access, though the DMA and the company's name had no meaning. DMA Design was formally founded by Jones that same year. Draconia was renamed Menace, and it was published in 1988 for Amiga, and in 1989 for Atari ST, Commodore 64, and MS-DOS. The game sold 20,000 copies, reportedly generating around 20,000 pounds, allowing the company to develop more games. This was followed by Blood Money, a side-scrolling shooter which began development in January 1989. The game was in development for five months and was released for Amiga and Atari ST in May 1989. The game was ported to MS-DOS by Tim Ansell of Creative Assembly in 1989 and to Commodore 64 by Daly in 1990. The company was also assigned to porting Ballistics to MS-DOS and Commodore 64, and Jones began developing the side-scrolling shooter Walker in 89 following the release of Blood Money. Also in 1989, Daly became DMA Design's first employee. In early 1990, Jones scrapped Walker and began development on a new game called Gore. And this was soon scrapped pretty much thereafter. By the end of the year, Jones hired Ian Dunlop and Nail Glancy to continue work on Walker. Glancy redesigned the game, and it was released for Amiga in 1993. In 1990, Jones hired Tony Colgan to develop Cutie Poo and assisted with Gore before its cancellation. By the end of the year, Jones was irritated by the lack of progress on Cutie Poo. Canceling the game and firing Colgan as a result, probably because that's a terrible name. <laughs> you wouldn't play Cutie Poo? I mean, listen, with the amount of toys for kids out there that are poo and butt related, no thank you, because I don't know where this is going with it. I don't know if this is going to be like a funny, cute game. Or like, hey, I'm a turtle um, that poops into a toilet. So I'm not sure (laughs) where my alliances lie in that. (laughs) In June 1990, DMA was commissioned by Psygnosis to port Shadow of the Beast to the TurboGrafx-16 and Commodore 64. Daly developed the former, while Richard Swiftnan and Steve Hammond worked on the latter. Psygnosis teamed with Ocean Software to publish Shadow of the Beast, for Commodore 64 game systems. Swinfin and Hammond adapted accordingly. Swinfin, who was subcontracted for his work on the game, found it unfair that Jones was getting paid for the game despite not working on it. The two never worked again. DMA also released Hired Guns for Amiga and MS-DOS in 1993, designed by Hammond and Scott Johnston. DMA's major breakthrough, so they, they had produced some games before, some ports, cutie poo, Gore, you know, titles like that that didn't do so hot. But their major breakthrough came with 1991's Lemmings, 
a dynamic puzzle game originally released for Amiga in February 1991. The game ultimately sold over 15 million copies and received numerous ports to different consoles. The game led to numerous sequels by DMA. Oh no, more Lemmings. Lemmings 2, The Tribes. And All New World of Lemmings. As well as two Christmas Lemmings. Derek, let me get you a lemming. It also <laughs> spawned various Lemmings games by other developers, such as 3D Lemmings and Lemmings Revolution. Revenues from Lemmings allowed the company to expand, adding their own motion capture studio and a division called DMA Music consisting of the team's in-house musicians. Lemmings for Christmas kind of sounds like Santa when he runs out of coal. Like yep. the coal prices just, they're too much, so he gives you old copies of Lemmings. <laughs> <laughs> the real crime was the Lemmings haircuts, if you haven't seen them. Bright green, really gross looking. They look like hops. It's very true. A fantastic game, odd design. Yep. DMA Design began developing a new game, Race and Chase, in April 1995. The development team consisted of mostly inexperienced members who struggled with the task until producer and creative director Gary Penn joined the project. Originally scheduled for release in late 1996, the game was ultimately released as Grand Theft Auto in October of 97 for Microsoft Windows, following many development issues. The game was a critical and commercial success and ultimately spawned a successful series. Following the release of Grand Theft Auto, DMA was bought by British publisher Gremlin Interactive in 1997. Gremlin published Space Station Silicon Valley in 1998. That game's amazing, by the way. Mm -hmm. And both Tank Ticks and Wild Metal Country in 1999 before being acquired by French company Infogrames for $40 million. Yeah, Space Station Silicon Valley is definitely on my N64 wish list. This is a game I've had many opportunities to buy, and every single time I see it, it just goes up in price. Mm -hmm. Game development at DMA Design generally involved taking risks and being unique. When an idea was pitched within the company, the question, what's different about it, was asked. The team wished to make unique and innovative games rather than mimicking the trend. And by doing this, they found that they were taking risks in the business, witnessing the market reactions and seeking respect from players. The company also strongly valued the development of the games as opposed to business and marketing. Quote, it doesn't matter if we were owned by somebody or if we were as we are. We'd still just write games, said Jones. Jones had expressed his distaste of linear gameplay with, quote, I just love games that are pretty open-ended. You can try things, you can go wherever you want. He claims that this distaste is reflected in the games by DMA Design including the options available to players in Lemmings and the open world of Grand Theft Auto. DMA Design had a fairly open office space for the developers. There was this fantastic try-it-out-and-see attitude, said developer Gary Timmons. Following his departure from the studio, Kay said that the team members know each other pretty well and understand each other's strengths and weaknesses. BMG Interactive, publisher of Grand Theft Auto, were bought by Take-Two Interactive in March 1998 for 1.85 million company shares, around 16% of their common stock, and some staff, including Sam and Dan Hauser, were carried across to Rockstar Games, which was formed as a subsidiary of Take-Two Interactive in December 1998. During the changes in management, DMA Design lost many employees, including Kay, Hammond, and Daly. 
Several games were also scrapped during this time, including Nintendo 64 ports of Grand Theft Auto and Wild Metal Country, a 64DD port of Unreal, and a game known as Attack. On September 29th, 1999, Take-Two Interactive announced that they had acquired DMA Design from Infogrames for 11 million US dollars. Sam Hauser, who became Rockstar Games executive producer, said that, quote, the ability to align Rockstar with a development house that is clearly approaching video game development in a new and exciting manner makes us a perfect match. Following the acquisition, it was announced that DMA Design would continue developing Grand Theft Auto games, including GTA 3D and Grand Theft Auto Online Crime World. The former was compared to the gameplay of Quake, while the latter was set to have worldwide servers, allowing players to compete with others in local cities. The company received various staffing changes following the acquisition. Jones left the company and founded Real-Time Worlds, while DMA Design was headed by Leslie Benzies and Andrew Semple, among others. The studio had about 25 employees at the time of the changeover. Under new management from Rockstar Games and Take-Two Interactive, DMA Design developed Grand Theft Auto 3, which was released for PlayStation 2 in October 2001, and in March 2002, DMA Design became Rockstar Studios, being integrated into Rockstar Games and renamed to Rockstar North in May 2002. So a very cool history with a lot of success, really. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when we talk about some of the studios that make these games, they're kind of on their last limb, and they just happen to make a hit, and that's what saves their company, and then you know, they go on, they're able to do more things, they have a little bit more freedom. But this was a company that had been successful and now obviously is part of one of the biggest publishers of all time. Well, in in the early days, games, as you could tell, took five months sometimes. So like even if you were putting out, you know, a group of stinkers, that might just be a year versus, hey, we worked on this modern AAA for 13 years. Oops, all berries didn't do so well. Yeah. And this allowed them to like, all right, let's keep play testing. Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. Oh, this one sticks. And not only that, you see they canceled games themselves when they were acquired by other people. Games got canceled and moves. Like, could you imagine Grand Theft Auto for the N64? Like Nintendo having a GTA on it? I mean, Conquer's Bad Fur Day. But... It was the era. <laughs> You're not wrong. It was the era. Yeah, no, absolutely. It. Uh, that would be very bizarre. And of course, later on, they made the Grand Theft Auto exclusive DS game, if I remember mm-hmm, correctly. Mm-hmm. So they did venture into the Nintendo realm. Very bizarre. Glad that we're uh, back on track as of, uh, what has it been, like nine years, 11 years? I don't even remember anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Long time. Mm-hmm. The core development team of Grand Theft Auto 3 consisted of about 23 people at DMA Design in Edinburgh, who worked closely with publisher Rockstar Games in New York City. The original prototype for the game was created on the Dreamcast around the end of development on the previous game, Grand Theft Auto 2, which, as we said, came out in 1999, and it led to it being greenlit. By early 2001, the team had designed the city, cars, and some weapons. An online multiplayer mode was initially planned for the game, but was ultimately dropped due to time and resource limitations. Producer Leslie Benzies described Grand Theft Auto 3 as a crime simulation game, 
Rockstar originally offered it to Microsoft Game Studios as an Xbox exclusive, but Microsoft declined due to the game's adult nature and its poorly performing predecessors. The game was released for the PlayStation 2 on October 23, 2001 in North America, and when porting the game to Microsoft Windows, the team delayed it from the PlayStation 2 release in order to ensure quality, citing issues with the simultaneous platform release of previous games in the series. Grand Theft Auto 3 is considered to be the first 3D game in the series, using Criterion Games' Renderware game engine. Executive producer Sam Hauser had always wanted the series to move to 3D. The development team of Grand Theft Auto 2 had performed some similar tests, and DMA Design had experimented with 3D worlds with games like Body Harvest and Space Station Silicon Valley. With the release of the PS2, the team felt that a large 3D world was possible. Art director Aaron Garboot felt that other video games at the time were a thing you played, wanting Grand Theft Auto 3 to be a place you lived in. When designing the game, the development team expanded upon concepts introduced in the previous Grand Theft Auto games. Benzies stated that the intention was to recreate the freedom and diversity of the previous games in a living, breathing 3D world, using the power of the PlayStation 2 to do so. The console's ability to use DVDs, an improvement over the PlayStation's limit to CDs, allowed the team to store more data, such as animations, music, and environments. Despite this, the team found it difficult to fit the game into the PS2's 32 megabits of RAM due to the scale. The game's size also created difficulties for the testers due to the varieties of options. Benzies felt that creating a living city was the underlying principle of the game's concept during development. Hauser felt that the game's 3D element allowed the chemistry of the team to come together perfectly for the first time. A major difficulty the team encountered was converting all game elements into a fully 3D world, including the sound and radio stations, as well as designing and voicing the non-playable characters due to the amount that existed within the open world. Hauser said that there were about 8,000 lines of recorded dialogue in the game, while audio programmer Raymond Usher estimated about 18,000. The basic technical elements of the game began to work together in the mid-2000s with a carjacking mechanic prototype and stable streaming model. Streaming was initially intended to be reserved for music and map geometry, but other elements were eventually included when it became apparent to the team as more data was entered. When designing the game world, the team initially created a hybrid city, which Dan Hauser described as, quote, a post-industrial Midwest-slash-East-Coast generic city. Upon developing within this game world, the team realized that basing the design on a real location meant you have a lot of things you can say about it. As a result, they redesigned Liberty City, which had been previously featured in the first Grand Theft Auto, basing it loosely on New York City. DMA Design worked with the team at Rockstar in New York for cultural references, and the Rockstar team would regularly work long hours for full weeks ensuring that the references such as in-game car manufacturers were appropriate to the city. The city is broken into three islands, an industrial section representing Brooklyn and Queens, a commercial center resembling Manhattan, and suburbs similar to New Jersey. The islands unlock as the story progresses. The team wanted players to start out feeling poor and work to being richer. Dan Hauser described Liberty City as a hybrid of a generic American city, including Chicago, Pittsburgh, Detroit, New York, and Philadelphia. 
He felt that the parallel realism of the world allowed the team to make more social commentary than previously. Hauser cited films such as shows like Heat and The Sopranos as an inspiration for the setting and wanted to emulate them in the game. He also cited the influence of The Legend of Zelda, Super Mario 64, and the 1990 film Goodfellas, describing Grand Theft Auto 3 as a cross between a gangster movie and an RPG. So basically, you know, from our previous talks and other episodes, The Legend of Zelda uh, spawned gaming. <laughs> I think <laughs> I mean, Zelda it's pretty made close. games. It's, it's not the worst argument that you could ever make. There are probably worse arguments out there. But when you're looking at like an adventure game, when you're looking at freedom, I mean, that original Legend of Zelda game, you could skip entire dungeons if you wanted to beat the game in a certain order, or you could meticulously go through and do them in the correct order, or you could do them out of order, whatever you wanted to do. But there was that freedom there. And so mm-hmm. when you are inspired to make a game that has those same freedoms, of course, you're going to point back to Legend of Zelda. Absolutely. Though it was the first that had that idea of exploring a world through these different kind of loadable squares in different dungeon areas, these open areas that gave you different challenges per area. And it's easy to draw upon that. It's, it's, it's almost like a roadmap of like planning out your game. Like, okay, in this area, we want this. In this, we want this. Not necessarily loading zones per se, but knowing and squaring off what kind of open world means and how it evolves over time. And so when it came to story and development of the characters, the team developed the story and design simultaneously. Dan Hauser said, quote, we use the story to expose the mechanics and we use the mechanics to tell the story. However, he found it difficult to create the narrative as the game is so strongly focused on player freedom. He wanted the story to be more nuanced and interesting rather than the generic rise and fall and rise again of a superhero bad guy. The game's script was also focused on mission objectives, attempting to implement high amounts of interactivity. Dan Hauser felt that each mission is its own short story and part of an overarching story. Hauser and co-writer James Worrell drew influence from mob films and the mafioso featured in films by Martin Scorsese. The team also paid a lot of attention to shows like Miami Vice and The Sopranos, as Derek had mentioned. When writing the story, Dan Hauser and Worrell regularly met with the designers and filled a room with post-it notes to reconstruct the story components to shape the game. Many of the game's characters were animated using motion capture, filmed at a rented studio at the Brooklyn Navy Yard though this was limited by technical constraints. The character movement was also treated as being cinematic, though limited polygons heavily inhibited this. Animating non-playable characters entering and driving cars proved to be difficult for the team due to the variety of the vehicle designs. And from software engineer Alan Campbell, he states, quote, it involved chaining together dozens of different animations and altering key frames in code. The team used varying camera angles when animating the game's cutscenes in order to evoke different emotions. For the voice acting, the team wanted natural, subtle performances, which proved difficult, as many of the actors had in their head the idea of video games that are animated, that their performances need to be animated. So like over the top, kind of getting goofy with it, when in reality, they're like, hey, We just need you to act as if you're in a movie, not a video game, but like act as if you're in a movie 
because take the idea of animation out of it. Yeah, and it's fairly uncommon at this point, you know, to be doing that. Video games were cartoony and unrealistic, and Mm -hmm. they obviously had a very, very different vision for where they wanted to take this series and video games, and I think they still kind of push the envelope on that. I've mentioned it many, many times, the L.A. Noir franchise and what they did with the facial software to really try and get emotions from actors into a video game so that your interactions with them could be based around that. I mean, Rockstar Mm -hmm. Games has always been trying to push the envelope with those kind of things. So you could see where some of these people might be confused at first, but nowadays more of a standard. It is, and it's entered into Hollywood. It's entered into cinema. I mean, you have professional voice actors that go around who some are on-screen actors as well as just voice actors, and some are just straight voice actors with it. Now, the playable protagonist is unnamed in the game, but his name is not officially revealed as Claude until his appearance in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. He is a silent protagonist, never speaking throughout his appearances. The team decided upon this primarily because it did not seem like a major issue due to the other challenges faced during development and also partly to allow players to identify with the character as he would be who the players want him to be. The developers did not have any one single inspiration for Claude. They liked the idea of a strong, silent killer who would be juxtaposed with all of these neurotic and verbose mobsters, which makes sense. We see that a lot in games of wanting to put the player in the shoes of the protagonist, making it, one, time constraints easy, two, allowing a non-speaking or non-verbal character, you, like they said, impose what you want them to think, be, sound like. You can do it yourself. Exactly, and there's not a lot lost when you do have that. Sometimes it can be a little bit jarring now, and maybe my brain has just been trained because of all these old games that did the silent protagonist. Now, sometimes when I'm playing as someone who does have a voice actor, who does have a very specific personality, mm-hmm. I don't connect with them as much. And sure. I feel more like I'm playing like a playable movie. I think if yeah, we're sticking in the Rockstar sense. realm, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a lot like that. Um, yeah. And even the more recent Grand Theft Auto games. Grand Theft Auto 5 had three different protagonists who are certainly not silent, have very different personalities, and so you do lose that connection. Um, The Claude appearance in San Andreas blew my mind when it happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're just racing, you're in this forest, you're dating a girl against your will, kind of, in that one, if I remember correctly, and then all of a sudden she leaves you for this new mysterious guy and you see him at the end of the race and hey it's claude guy from uh, grand theft auto 3 so that was a really cool callback forming that grand theft auto cinematic universe <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. 
So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So let's talk about the gameplay, which is what I think really drew people to this game. Grand Theft Auto 3 is an action-adventure game played from a third-person perspective. Players complete missions, linear scenarios with set objectives to progress through the story. It is possible to have several missions available at a time, as some missions require players to wait for further instructions or events. Outside of missions, players can freely roam the game's open world and have the ability to complete optional side missions. Liberty City is composed of three boroughs, Portland, Staunton Island, and Shoreside Vale. The latter two areas become unlocked as the player progresses through the storyline. Players may run, jump, or use vehicles to navigate the game's world. In combat, auto-aim can be used as assistance against enemies. Should players take damage, their health meter can be fully regenerated through the use of health pickups. Body armor can be used to absorb gunshots and explosive damage, but is used up in the process. When health is entirely depleted, gameplay stops and players respond at the nearest hospital at the expense of losing armor, weapons, and an amount of money. If players commit crimes while playing, the game's law enforcement agencies may respond as indicated by a wanted meter in the head-up display or HUD HUD. On the meter, the displayed stars indicate the current wanted level. For example, at the maximum six-star level, efforts by law enforcement to incapacitate players become very aggressive. Law enforcement officers will search for players who leave the wanted vicinity. The wanted meter enters a cooldown mode and eventually recedes when players are hidden from the officer's line of sight. The game lets players control the mute criminal Claude. And during this story, Claude meets various new characters from gangs. As players complete missions for different gangs and criminal organizations, fellow gang members will often defend players, while rival gang members will recognize players and subsequently shoot on sight. While free-roaming the game world, players may engage in activities such as a vigilante minigame, a firefighting activity, a paramedic service, and a taxicab service. Completion of these activities grants players with context-specific rewards. For example, completing the vigilante mission allows players to bribe police after committing a crime. So again, it's, it's, if you've played GTA V, which I assume a lot of you have, this is kind of where a lot of that era started, the wanted levels. I mean, you saw it in the early GTAs, but fleshing out this third-person thing, the line of sight, giving you these rewards for like these multiple minigames. They tried to add a lot to bring variety to open world. Um, and this is really where we start to see a lot of that borrowed, like we talked about, some from like an RPG sense of doing quests and quest lines and advancing the story and be able to unlock certain perks for that. Now, the thing that I forgot a lot about until I started going back into it um, was the overall story of the game. So I'm going to break part of that down now. So small-time criminal Claude is betrayed and shot by his girlfriend, Catalina, voiced by Cynthia Farrell, during a bank heist outside Liberty City. Claude is arrested, but escapes during his transfer to prison when members of the Colombian cartel ambush his transport to abduct another prisoner. During his escape, Claude befriends explosives expert and fellow convict, Eightball, who shelters Claude and introduces him to the Leone Mafia family for work. Claude assists the Mafia with various operations, including winning a gang war against a local group of triads, 
earning him the respect of Don Salvatore Leon, Frank Vincent. After learning that the cartel are creating and selling a new street drug called Spank to fund their expansion to Liberty City, Salvatore orders Claude to destroy their floating drug lab. Claude accomplishes this with Eight Ball's help. Salvatore later instructs Claude to deal with a minor problem, but his trophy wife Maria, voiced by Debbie Mazur, who took a liking to Claude, reveals it to be a setup. Maria claims that she lied to Salvatore about having an affair with Claude to make him jealous, and now Salvatore wants to murder him. Claude escapes to Staunton Island with Maria and her friend Asuka Kassin, voiced by Liana Pai. After assassinating Salvatore to cut ties with Leones, Claude begins working for the Yakuza, led by Asuka and her brother Kenji, voiced by Lei Jian Mao. During this time, he also provides assistance to corrupted high-ranking police inspector Ray Machowski, who he eventually helps flee the city, and influential businessman Donald Love. Donald hires Claude to assassinate Kenji under the guise of a cartel attack to start a gang war that will allow Donald to obtain construction sites for his businesses, and Claude succeeds. During another job for Donald at a construction site, Claude re-encounters Catalina, now the leader of the cartel, but she escapes from him. Asuka blames the cartel for Kenji's death and seizes the construction site. The Yakuza capture Catalina's wounded partner, Miguel, and torture him for information on cartel operations in the city, allowing Claude to strike against them and hinder the cartel. Enraged, Catalina murders both Asuka and Miguel and kidnaps Maria, demanding $500,000 for her release. Claude meets with her to pay the ransom, but Catalina deceives him again and traps him. Claude escapes, rescues Maria, and destroys the helicopter Catalina attempts to flee in, killing her. As Claude and Maria leave the scene, the latter begins to complain about the kidnapping, but is silenced by a gunshot. Dark. Dark. So, fun fact that uh, Catalina character Mm -hmm. is the girlfriend from San Andreas. Oh, okay. So, San Andreas is actually set in the early 90s, and this game was set in 2001, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so if you go and play San Andreas, that is basically the prequel to this game. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the cut material. Now, there's been some pretty intense cut material in some of these uh, Grand Theft Auto games. Now, of course, we all know about some of the stuff from San Andreas, but let's talk a little bit about Grand Theft Auto 3. And in their initial release, several modifications were made to the game. While changes are frequent during game development, as we know, these changes were noted to be around the time of the attacks of September 11th, 2001 on the Twin Towers, which led to speculation that the changes were motivated by the attacks. And on September 19th, 2001, Rockstar delayed the game's release by three weeks, citing the attacks as an influencing factor in the delay. Quote, Everyone had someone who had an uncle or brother who was impacted by the attack, said Paul Ebler, then president of distributor Take-Two Interactive. One of the changes made shortly after the 9-11 attacks was the color scheme of the police cars, which were originally blue with white stripes and resembled that of the New York City Police Department. It was changed to black and white designs common among several police departments in the U.S., such as Los Angeles and San Francisco. Other changes included altering the flight path of a plane to avoid appearing to fly into or behind a skyscraper and removing a mission referencing terrorists, as well as some changes to pedestrian dialogue and talk radio. 
Another cut to the game was the character of Darkle, a revolutionary urchin who vowed to bring down the city's economy. When references to Darkle were found in the game's code, speculation arose that he was related to 9-11, but Dan Hauser explained that the character had been cut months before release. There are also reports and previews stating that the game featured school children as pedestrians prior to release, although Rockstar has dismissed such rumors as nonsense. Rockstar stated that the game was about 1% different after 9-11, and that the biggest change was the cover art. They felt that the game's original cover, which was still used for its release in Europe, felt too raw after 9-11. It was changed to what became the signature style of the series. Sam Hauser stated that the cover was designed in an evening, and was instantly preferred over the original cover. The cover was inspired by the movie posters for 1960s films such as The Thomas Crown Affair. Now, when we're talking about some changes, obviously these were more of a change to suit the situation, change to deal with, you know, things that have happened, but there's also some controversy um, just around the game itself. As we had talked about earlier in the episode of it being a very violent game and how should people go about with it. Prior to and since the release of Grand Theft Auto 3, the game generated several controversies. GameSpy awarded it with the title of Most Offensive Game of the Year, calling it absolutely reprehensible. They wrote that the game rewards players for causing mayhem and killing innocent people by the dozen, ultimately questioning its appropriateness within the industry. The notoriety of Grand Theft Auto 3 resulted in American retailer Walmart's decision to check the identification of purchasers who appeared to be under the age of 17 when purchasing mature titles. In an essay, Assistant Professor Shira Chess identified the lack of conclusion to player violence due to the ability to respawn upon death or incarceration and found that it denies the reality of mortality and simultaneously forces it on players. When speaking about the game's depiction of violence, producer Leslie Benzies claimed that it is intended to be comedic and that the game is not meant to be taken seriously. Dan Hauser stated that the team was conscious of the offensiveness in the game and that it, you know, would attract around that, but never marketed it in a way that exploited it. They never did the like, yeah, you guys want a bad game for bad people? <laughs> That's the game. So it's basically what they're saying. is like, we didn't do that. Like, it's, it's supposed to be like a comical take on a lot of this stuff. It's making fun of things. Yeah, this game was never, ever, I think, like a serious game. It Really, the only more serious ones that I can remember were kind of in that era around Grand Theft Auto 4. But even those mm. had comical people, comical characters. These games were never meant to be simulations in the criminal underworld. Yeah. No, but one of the biggest things that did jump up from GTA 3 was that the game allows players to participate in sexual activities with prostitutes and murder them to reclaim the payment, which was met with widespread controversy. The game also received some backlash for its depiction of crime and allowing violence against police officers. Psychologist David Walsh of the National Institute on Media and the Family stated that the game, quote, glamorizes antisocial and criminal activity, and that the purpose of the game is to perpetrate crime. In response, Kotaku writer Owen Good wrote that the game does not reward players for proficiency at crime, no matter how much it is accused of doing so. Jonah Weiss of the Boston Globe noted that the adrenaline that players feel when committing crimes in the game 
excusing its violence due to its mature classification. In January 2002, the National Organization for Women called for Rockstar and Take-Two to withdraw the game from sale as it encourages violence and the degradation of women. Matt Richtel of the New York Times wrote that the activities within the game crossed the line into bad taste. It's so interesting to look back on when things are first revealed, like GTA 3, various other games that depict violence or activities incurring in violence or crime or deception or whatever, and just see how everyone reacts at the time. Having professors write in about op-eds, about how the psychology of kids is going to change, that crime is going rampant, and all this stuff. It's, it's very interesting. And of course, for a long time, any crime that was committed, they're looking back into what kind of lifestyle did this person live? And they're finding, you know, Grand Theft Auto game cases in their apartment or whatever, and mm-hmm. that person just stabs someone on the street, and they're like, huh. There must be a connection here. Now, of course, there's been tons and tons of studies and research on how does that, how does a video game translate into real world behavior? And there's not really any conclusive evidence that it does that. So, a lot mm-hmm. of fear mongering from people who didn't want their kids playing this game. And, you know, I think a lot of that stuff was probably managed at home as it needed to be. So, sure. This game inspired a lot of games similar to it. And uh, Grand Theft Auto's only crime, in my opinion, was being actually good at doing that because there were games like um, State of Emergency and uh, 25 to Life, and those games were just bad. So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) at least we got a good game out of it. For sure. Now, Grand Theft Auto 3 was initially released in Australia with a mature 15-plus classification. After re-reviewing the game, however, the Office of Film and Literature Classification, or the OFLC, banned it due to its depiction of sexual content and violence against prostitutes. This prompted Take-Two to appeal to the OFLC, who reaffirmed the ban status on the 11th of December in 2001 after reanalyzing the game and seeking the professional opinion of a forensic psychologist. As a result, Take-Two recalled the game in Australia and Rockstar made appropriate changes to the game. A modified version was re-released with an MA-15 plus classification in January of 2002, removing all instances of sexual acts with prostitutes. The game was re-rated with an R-18 classification in September 2019, citing sexual activities related to incentives and rewards. On June 25, 2003, teenage stepbrothers William and Josh Buckner shot at motorists, killing Aaron Hamill and wounding Kimberly Bede. In statements to investigators, the perpetrators claimed their actions were inspired by Grand Theft Auto III. And in response, on October 20, 2003, the families of Hamill and Bede filed a $246 million lawsuit against Rockstar, Take-Two, Sony Computer Entertainment, and Walmart. Rockstar and Take-Two filed for dismissal of the lawsuit, stating in United States District Court on October 29, 2003, that the ideas and concepts and the purported psychological effects of the perpetrators are protected by the First Amendment's free speech clause. Jack Thompson, the lawyer representing the victims, denied Rockstar's claims and attempted to move the lawsuit into a state court for consideration under Tennessee's Consumer Protection Act. Do we know? Do we know the end result of that? Um, I believe those settled outside of court. So there was nothing that we actually saw. And that's why you're trying to take it to a state court that has like a Consumer Protection Act, basically saying that you did this to us. Um, so there's settlements with that. 
Um, yeah, again, this is brought up, and I mean, it can be used for talking points, being like, they said they did it because of this, but at the same time, go, I went out and I stole all these things because in Teletubbies, uh, they didn't pay for anything. Like, it's, it's, it's very much in that same realm, then you can just use that against any of it. And so I get it, and I get the pressure to it, and especially being one of the first to kind of push that envelope, and the internet's new, and we're now very much, you know, desensitized to a lot of things. So it, it, it was the start of that. It was the start of pushing that envelope, and, and a lot of places didn't allow a lot of that until really recent years. I mean, you're seeing 2019... Australia for like an 18 plus of like the official game. Um, I know in Germany they had stricter laws with that. England had some strict stuff with it. So it's it, it's interesting to see how like these things evolve over time and become a part of culture because no matter what they're they're going to be, unless you were to completely take it out somehow. But as popular as things are, it's going to be part of culture. Yeah. So games according to GameSpot, Jack Thompson did leave this case eventually Mm. according to the attorney for the defense he can't proceed with the civility the rules require all lawyers have to conduct themselves with honesty integrity and civility this isn't a street fight so there was obviously Mm. a lot of emotion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. behind this case and of course you know there should be and I, i think while there's been a lot of research into this and most of it has shown that there's really not that connection. It doesn't mean that people shouldn't ask the question and shouldn't look into that stuff, you know? It's it's good to do that. And like you said, it just has sort of started to become a bigger part of our society. And, you know, people are going to wonder about things like that. When uh, we did the Doom episode, of course, all the stuff that happened at Columbine, everyone pointed to Doom. Mm-hmm. And there are certain comparisons that, violent video games are going to draw to real life, especially when they are trying to be these open worlds based on more real life scenarios and things. But yeah, at the end of the day, video games are video games. Yeah. And and, and there are things that you can take from it that you don't like. And I think comes down to individual preferences within people. And how do you see your kids, you know, looking or liking certain things? And that kind of boils down to the main issue at hand for it is, is it bad? I mean, yeah, if you just look at it on paper, sure. It is a bad thing that these people are doing in the game. But as you said earlier, it's been tested and tested. It's not something that is this like end all be all changing of my mental psychology to shift me to go out. Now, I will just give you a funny brief anecdote. When I worked at GameStop, our eighth grade Catholic school teacher came in with her son, who was maybe seven or eight years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And the game he picked out was Grand Theft Auto. And we had a policy at this GameStop to read to a parent what the rating system was mm-hmm. and why it was rated that way before they bought anything that was like a mature game with they when they were 17 or under or sure. under 17 so i remember reading off this list it's like violence drug use paraphernalia uh sexual content uh language 
all mm-hmm. these things, just reading, watching her face get super horrified. <laughs> <laughs> and she turns and looks at her son. She's like, are you serious? Put this back. And he didn't get that game. Sorry, buddy. If you're Sad listening day. right now, that's my day. fault. My bad. <laughs> so let's move on to the music and sound that we have in the game. We know they have official, official, unofficial radio stations, but music that we know and love. So Grand Theft Auto 3 features about three and a half hours of in-game radio material. For the music, the team sought a broad diversity to recreate the real sensation of skipping through radio stations, reflecting the gangster movie culture invoked by the game. The team used the talk radio stations to add character to the city and provide a unique take on American life, which Sam Hauser describes as a very iconoclastic look at America. The team used real DJs to portray those on the radio. In doing so, they wrote unusual dialogue for the DJs, seeking the effect of high production values and absurd content. Music director Craig Connor assembled the assets of the radio station, music, advertisements, DJ dialogue, and station imaging. Chatterbox FM, one of the game's radio stations, is entirely talk radio hosted by Laszlo Jones, who met Rockstar's managing director Terry Donovan in 2001 as they were both preparing to travel to L.A. for E3. Donovan invited Jones to Rockstar's offices in Manhattan, where he met the development team, including Dan Sam Hauser and producer Jamie King, and they invited him to work on the game. The writing sessions took place at Dan Hauser's apartment, and the entire process, including editing and recording, took around four to five months. With the station's guests and callers, the writers wanted to satirize American lifestyles, focusing on fictional stories as opposed to quickly outdated stories based on recent news. Jones found the conversations to be natural, having worked in radio for several years. The role of the guests and callers were performed by Jones's friends and neighbors, including his father, and were recorded in New York. And they continued that throughout the other <laughs> Grand Theft Autos, and it was honestly one of my favorite radio stations to listen to, because some of the things that mm-hmm. the people said on there, just absolutely absurd, good comedic fun when you're you know, looking to just drive through to the next location. Grand Theft Auto was released on May 21st, 2002 for Microsoft Windows, supporting higher screen resolutions and draw distance and featuring more detailed textures. A GameCube release was planned, but later canceled. In December 2003, the game was released on the Xbox, with its successor, Vice City, as part of the Grand Theft Auto Double Pack compilation. The Xbox port features custom soundtrack support as well as improved audio, polygon models, and reflections over the previous ports. Double Pack was later bundled with San Andreas as part of Grand Theft Auto The Trilogy, released in October 2005. The Trilogy was also released for OSX on November 12, 2010, and on December 15, 2011, for the game's 10th anniversary, Wardrum Studios ported the game to iOS and Android. This port is almost identical to the Windows version, with the addition of enhanced models and textures and touchscreen controls. This port was also released on the Fire OS, on May 15, 2014. A PS3 version was released on September 25, 2012 via the PlayStation Network, and the original PlayStation 2 version was released for the PS4 as a PS2 Classics title on December 5, 2015. In 2012, a modding community under the name Rage Classic Team ported the map over to Grand Theft Auto 4, named Grand Theft Auto 3 Rage Classic. 
An enhanced version of the trilogy, subtitled The Definitive Edition, including Grand Theft Auto 3, was released for Microsoft Windows, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X and S on November 11th, 2021 to celebrate the game's 20th anniversary. Versions for Android and iOS devices will release in 2022. And existing versions of the game were removed from digital retailers in preparation for the definitive edition. A core team of six fans reverse-engineered the game and released it as an executable in April 2020, having worked on it since 2016, titled RE3. The project allows the game to be unofficially ported to platforms such as Nintendo Switch, PlayStation Vita, and Wii U. Take-Two issued a DMCA takedown for the project in February 2021, though it was restored in June after the team filed a counter-notice. In September 2021, Take-Two filed a lawsuit in California against the programmers, asserting that the projects constitute copyright infringement. And again, they did it because they were coming out with their titles, their their new trilogy coming out, because you really only see anyone take action against certain things if, one, it like really makes the IP look bad, which is few and far between usually, or two, if you're going to release the game again. Yeah. Or your Nintendo. Those are your two options. Or your Nintendo. <laughs> but it, the project was really cool. And we actually see comparisons in the what people, for the most part, agree with was poorly executed for the definitive edition. There's uh, looks at this mod um, that have greatly improved it, made it almost a modern looking game in a way versus what was released for this definitive edition and it got people kind of thinking like hey why didn't you just hire those developers they've already made the game like let's just bring that on bring that code in and again that's another talk for another time depending on what you think of the game but it is interesting to see and talk about um when hardware software in and of itself gets older and is not supported anymore when does that constitute a reason to take it down versus people having access to it. For sure. Now, Grand Theft Auto 3 has been frequently included among the greatest video games of all time. In 2007, GamePro called Grand Theft Auto 3 the most important video game of all time, explaining that the game's open-ended gameplay elements have revolutionized the way all video games are made. Similarly, IGN ranked the game among the top 10 most influential games, and GameSpot listed it among the greatest games of all time. In 2009, Game Informer wrote that Grand Theft Auto 3 changed the gaming landscape forever with its immersive open-world sandbox, and in 2016, Game Radar Plus named it the most important game of the 2000s. Time named it one of the greatest video games of all time in November 2012 and in August 2016. The game was selected as part of the Game On touring exhibition, demonstrating some of the game's development plans and artwork. Grand Theft Auto 3 is considered to have a leading role in the popularization of sandbox games, inspiring those such as Crackdown, Mafia, Saints Row, True Crime, and Watch Dogs. The term Grand Theft Auto clone is frequently used to describe subsequent video games released with similar open-ended gameplay, such as Grand Theft Auto 3. While previous video games used open-world design, including earlier Grand Theft Auto games, GTA 3 took this gameplay foundation and expanded it into a 3D world, offering an unprecedented variety of mini-games and side missions. 
Journalist and consultant Tom Bramwell felt that the game did not invent a lot of its gameplay features, but brought them all together. Due to its greater success over its predecessors, it is credited with popularizing the open-world genre. Danhauser felt that the game made it one of the most vibrant genres today, and Garbutt felt that it led to the complexities of Rockstar's future open-world games, including the later Grand Theft Auto titles and Red Dead Redemption 2. IGN's Jack Harwood wrote that the game's talk radio station inspired similar inclusions in other open-world games, such as Mafia 3 and Watch Dogs Legion. The game also led the trend of mature video games. Dan Hauser felt that it allowed other developers to create violent shooters. Hal Halpin, president of the Entertainment Consumers Association, described Grand Theft Auto 3 as the lightning rod for the violence in-games debate. Metro's Roger Hargraves wrote that it, quote, emboldened a whole new wave of games that were fixated with violence and gang culture. Greg Ford of Electronic Gaming Monthly felt that the game allowed the medium to handle mature subject matter in a more serious manner than previously perceived, and noted the improvement of video game classification as a result of its controversy. King said that video games at the time were often associated with children, or nerds, and that the development team wanted the rest of the entertainment industry to pay attention, and understand that the medium could also contain mature adult content. You hear that, nerds? Think Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) Nerd culture's cool now. (laughs) It all started here. Following the game's success, Rockstar developed further titles in the series. Vice City and San Andreas are set in their titular locations in 1986 and 1992, respectively. Grand Theft Auto Advance is set in Liberty City roughly a year before the events of Grand Theft Auto 3. Grand Theft Auto Liberty City Stories takes place three years before the events of Grand Theft Auto 3 in the same rendition of Liberty City. A completely redesigned version of the city was later used in Grand Theft Auto 4. So yeah, we definitely see the influence that is really brought about by GTA 3. Again, it's the third slash fifth entry into the series at this point, but it's really where the game takes off and really where it... If we're talking like using, you know, the buzzword next gen, it's really the next gen, not only in the system it's creating it for, but just in terms of gaming. It, it elevated its own play style. And we know Nintendo is synonymous for that, for adding more content into their certain games, bumping those up. And, you know, they have the most recognizable IPs and the easiest to create for. But when you're a studio like this that makes an entirely different game in the Legend of Zelda you know, feel and era of it. And then you bring it to the 3D realm and that Mario 64 aspect, then it really does make that shift change. And it really makes it important into what you do next with it. Yeah, such a, just a big influential game in Grand Theft Auto and really their entire outlook from the beginning of wanting to make games that just have more openness to them. I think... Mm -hmm. To have people in leadership roles from the very beginning, to have that mindset is really what has made Rockstar such a great game developer. And so Grand Theft Auto 3, I mean, I do remember all the controversies. I do remember going to friends' houses and playing this game. My parents would not let me get Grand Theft Auto 3. I think I got San Andreas when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I think that was about the time that they were finally like, okay, 
You know, you've seen R-rated movies. You've seen, like, violent movies. This is sure. probably fine. But then there were still moments where my parents would walk in the room and yeah, worst possible time, I'm sure, whatever was going on. <laughs> the odds were stacked against me. True. There was such an influence on culture that came from this game, and you weren't really cool if you weren't playing these games. You might have been a nerd. <laughs> based on what that guy said if you weren't playing this game so true 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 i had a lot of fun with grand theft auto 3 first thing i would do every single time go and get the banshee out of the car dealership mm-hmm, drive around mm-hmm. my sweet convertible that car has become so iconic within the series i think for its availability within that game some of the gunplay was a little bit frustrating and they worked out some kinks in the later titles and i think San Andreas was probably the most playable within that original trilogy of games. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give this game an 8 out of 10. Okay, okay, okay. I see, I see. I I don't see, but I see. Yeah, I mean, I've stated before um, that the influence this brought to Sandbox, to Open World, to the idea of it, um, it really expanded so many different facets in video games and even if you've never played gta 3 or even the the classic gta's know that like what you're playing today on the billion dollars they're earning from your gta online in the last month in the last month (laughs) that this was a precedent that they wanted i mean they're talking about this on early like n64 playstation days to be like we want a whole online thing like we want online like that's what we want and gta 4 was really the test bed for it I do remember playing online and it was it worked. There wasn't much to it besides like having the open world part of it. And then GTA 5 was like, "Ooh, okay, there's definitely something here. We have the the wherewithal, we have the money, we have the technology, we have the technology to do this." <laughs> and it brought about such a cool way and such a complicated way to have multiple people on the same server interacting together with minimal mess-ups between it. And, and this is really where that started at all. And like, like I mentioned, if you've played a Saints Row, Sleeping Dogs, any of that stuff, it's coming from this game. And yeah. you have to tip the old hat when the tipping of the old hat is due. So if I had if to get you want, this game... If you want a real number, real quick, 911 mm-hmm. million a year on GTA Online. So it's come... Okay. It's come a long, long way. So it's earned, it's, earned, it's earned a couple dollars. Two and a half million a day. Yeah, a couple dollars. <laughs> and uh, so if I have to give this a rating, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spread the gamut, though, Derek. Uh, I'm, I'm going to spread the gamut of this one. Um, I'm going to give it ballads plus boys plus bikes. Plus Banshees, plus Beer, plus Barracuda. The fish specifically doesn't have much to do with this, but that was on my mind. Um, out of Tony's. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I would include the $6 million man, Claude. We have the technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a B. It's not a B word though. So that's how you rate this game. Oh, uh, that's fair. Of course. 
Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music was composed and recorded by our friend Evan Barr. And our lovely new artwork was provided to us by Aaron Shattuck. And we want to thank all of those people, as well as people who support us monetarily and mentally. Uh, those are our Patreons. So if you want to check out our Patreon, you can get a bunch of bonus content, extra episodes, physical rewards, entry into our D&D and Minecraft servers, and various other things that we were working on in the interim. I want to thank some select few today with Sky the Bear, Mr. Choff, Nick Hyman, McChief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, and Lee Tom Thank you all for the support. If you haven't yet, give us a follow. We're on Instagram, Twitter. We're also on Discord. It's free to join. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time and having a lot of fun. And if you haven't, you can check us out on Twitch. You can see me over at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. Or Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't, please leave us a review. We love to hear from you guys and it helps us out a lot. And that has been our coverage of Grand Theft Auto 3. Um, if you've played 5, which I think all of us have grown up and they've had 17 children since then, um, what do you think? I mean, do you, do you see this as like one of the staples to play or at least know about? Or, where would you like to see the series go with GTA 6 or any further games? Let us know. And, as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, The Silent Protagonist. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.